0: Coming up on this week's show, Windows 98 gets a new update.
1: Resident Evil 2 finally comes to the Sega Saturn. And we're joined by Crazy Ken from the YouTube channel The Computer Clan.
0: And the Retro Hour podcast is made possible each week thanks to our good friends at Bitmap Books. Now, one of their books I know you're going to love is Sinclair ZX Spectrum, a visual compendium celebrating the artistry of the pioneering UK computer industry with this gorgeous visual compendium packed with classic games for the spectrum. Check that out on the rest of their retro gaming books at bitmapbooks.com. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 333, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me,
1: Ravi Abbott. And me,
0: Joe Fox. And welcome to another packed podcast, taking you on a journey inside the world of classic video games and technology, bringing you up to speed on all the big stories that have been happening over the last week, and of course, bringing you a very special guest in the second half of this week's show, I did notice actually someone on our Facebook page pointed out that now we're at episode three three three. We are technically halfway to
2: hell. I was literally thinking <laughs> that you know when you said the the three 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 in the intro there, I was like, oh gosh, we're we're halfway to Satan, halfway to hell. I, I, what would we do if we we made it to six six six? Like, I really hope we do, but like, would we do a horror
1: episode or like? It a, sounds like. A- <laughs> A, a metal album that you'd do, you know, Halfway to Hell, Joe. That was... Halfway to Hell, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: on Joe's new album. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, there's no evil in this week's show, only the good stuff. We've got some big news stories to talk about very soon, and an incredible guest as well. And um, I was actually quite pleased because, I mean, we kind of all have a little bit of an input into who comes on the show. We will kind of reach out to different guests and stuff as well. But Joe, you really surprised me. When you got this week's guest, because it's someone that I've watched on YouTube for a long, long time, um, and actually he's a very computer-focused channel.
2: Yeah, this was um, this was crazy. Ken from Computer Clan, which um, I absolutely loved that he came on, and he's such a you know charismatic guy, and he's quite a young guy as well. But it turns out he's been you know on YouTube for fourteen years now, which is just incredible. Yeah. But um, like you say, we all kind of have our roles with the podcast and you know i'm i'm not the guy who gets the guests you know you guys do that and i i got great i got crazy Ken. and this this was just like it was crazy i just thought you know what watching his channel let me just reach out because he, he just felt really right for the show and he said yes yeah, straight away and like i'm really really glad you guys enjoyed it like i was like oh i'll jump on it but dan was a bit like it is very computer heavy and he was, you know <laughs> i'll gracefully back me. down i wouldn't have <laughs> yeah. known what we were talking
1: about um, but Ravi, you you said after the interview that it was a really, really, really great interview, which a I was really, really good one. About. Yeah, Ken talks all about the Mac in this. It's a very Macintosh focused interview, and we've been like looking at Mac because we haven't really had popularity of Mac in Europe and other other places. And uh, it's really amazing to see this Apple stuff, rare Apple stuff, a lot of the history, a lot of connection with the next computer, like. It was a really lively interview as well because Ken's really, like, out there. He's crazy. He's crazy. (laughs) And um, me and Dan could really get into the meat of the stuff as well because it was just, like, very computery, which I didn't expect from you, Joe. I expected, like the developer of Donkey Kong or something to come Well, on, that'd bro. be awesome as yeah. well. But, it would be great as well. <laughs> that's your next guest.
2: Um. That's my next one. You've just like thrown the gauntlet down for me now, haven't you? <laughs> but yeah, man, like, yeah. like I say, I just thought it'd be a really good show and um, I'm really glad like, how well it came out. So really excellent stuff.
0: Yeah, one thing that we really go in depth into, because I mean, the reason I found Ken's channel, it's kind of, it's part of a collective, the Computer Clan. So he's got a few other people that help him out on it as well. Uh, but really, they specialize heavily in rare Apple prototypes. Yeah. And a so lot of, we kind of get into. A lot of internal ones as well, you know. That, yeah, um, we're kind of getting Apple into like how he tracks have. those down and how he manages to find, you know, these these prototypes that really are meant to be only kept inside Apple and whether he gets a bit nervous that one day he might get that that email off Tim Cook, oi, take that video down and bring that back. So it's a really interesting one. Also we go into like, you know, next, you know, Steve Jobs company that he set up outside of Apple when he left in the eighties and also we get really nerdy you're talking about even BOS and being a company that Apple nearly bought that could have sent them in a completely different direction. So
1: something a bit different for us, but I yeah. really enjoyed this one. You know what excited me? Our discussion on weird mice, <laughs> Apple mice. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that was really interesting. And uh, yeah, it's a great interview. I think you're all going to really enjoy this. And uh, you know, if, if you're not a Mac user, you're not an Apple user, listen to it because there's a lot of crossover with other subjects as well.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, the Mac is so big these days. But a lot of people probably don't realise that Apple had, like, a you know, really bad time in the 90s, particularly. I remember reading there was something like 99 days away from bankruptcy. Yeah, that, w- stuff that would, would have been around. the time to buy shares, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, if only. <laughs> so, you're going to enjoy this week's guest, the brilliant Crazy Ken from the Computer Clan. He's coming up in around 25 minutes from now. Now, one thing about doing a podcast that focuses on the classic age of video games, even though the video games industry is still quite a young one. I mean, really, it's only been around about, what, 40 years, really, commercially. But it does mean, as, you know, the people that founded the industry age, unfortunately, we do occasionally have to say goodbye to some of them. And it was um, very sad to read this week that um, Sega legend, who also worked for Atari and Sony, Bernie Stolar, passed away on Friday last week. And actually this was, um, it Quite hit us quite hard because we've been talking to Bernie for about a year now, haven't we?
1: Yeah, and he was never in a in a situation to be able to do an interview, sadly. Yeah, really wanted to there, didn't he? Yeah, really wanted to. And he, he expressed how much he wanted to come on. And, you know, he's an absolute legend. Like, he was in so many companies, it's unbelievable. You know, he's a Atari in the original uh, Lynx division as well. When that came out in about 1989. And also, he was in Sony Computer Entertainment of America, launched the original PlayStation. He became president of Sega of America, where he um, led the development of the Dreamcast as well. And he worked for Google later on as a uh, games evangelist. He has had a really interesting career and he even picked that, you know, the Dreamcast
0: 9999 date that I think, you know, particularly for our audience in North America. Whenever you mention the Dreamcast, that date sticks in their mind, doesn't it? You know, as when it was released. So he was, I mean, and and there's some really interesting articles. There's one on Forbes that I'll link up that I think is the best one that I've read that talks to so many people who worked with Bernie and knew him and really gives you a a nice rounded picture of what he was like. I mean, one thing I think he kind of got unfairly tarnished with, and I'll link up this um, thread on Twitter because it's quite interesting, from an account called Mega Drive Shock, you know, he often gets um, remembered as the guy that killed off the Sega Saturn mm. with that quote, you know, the Saturn's not our future. But actually, there's a, a series of tweets that kind of goes in depth and expands that interview and kind of reframes what he meant. So it kind of looks like that was taken a bit out of context, really, because his role at Sega at the time was to be focusing on their future plans. Yeah. yeah. So at the time, his his plan was working on the Dreamcast. So he didn't say that, you know stop making stuff for the Dreamcast, just obviously we're working on the next and, thing. And he
1: kind of killed off that idea of RPG and stuff, but you had to be kind of brutal to progress. Like imagine, can you imagine going from Sony and then going to a rival Sega? Yeah, I mean you're right, when he joined Sega, it was you know, it was a
0: failing company, wasn't it? To go from Sony or top of the game to Sega at that time, a very difficult move. But obviously the Dreamcast, I mean, even though commercially it wasn't a huge success, I think, in terms of the retro gaming community Most of us have a special place in our heart for the Dreamcast and uh, Bernie was obviously a massive part of that as well. So if you want to read that tribute to um, Bernie Stolar in Forbes, I'll link that up in our show notes at theretrohour.com and rest in peace, Bernie. So we have got lots of other news stories to get into in just a moment. This is one that I didn't expect to see. Windows 98 got a new update in the last couple of weeks. Although if you want to get it, turns out you've got to be on Mars.
2: So is that you going to Mars then, Dan? (laughs)
0: now obviously windows 98 i mean came out in 1998 shock um but i think the last update from microsoft i've got a feeling was around 2005 oh wow so obviously it's um you know microsoft don't support it anymore Mm -hmm. but the the thing about having stuff in space is it's not like they can just get up there and change the hardware
1: you can't go up with a usb stick
2: exactly yeah. <laughs> no, we're launching ravi into space with a usb stick <laughs> oh god and I, a, co- a copy of windows vista
1: I've, I've traveled many years and now i find the uh the cd's been scratched or some errors <laughs> on the usb <laughs> stick gotta go back well this is um
0: the european space agency's mars express spacecraft now this was launched around 20 years ago 2003 and at the time i mean obviously they've got to work on the software that it runs for a few years before. So even though stuff like Windows 2000 and XP was already out then, they actually built it on a Windows 98 foundation. And now it's in space, and they want to do an update to this that they can send remotely that really has to update the underlying Windows 98 operating system. And they reckon that this is going to increase how much data the probe can send back to Earth and improve the quality of it as well. So it's going to allow them to see a lot more in-depth into the areas, um, particularly the South Pole of Mars. So it is quite interesting that
1: technically Windows 98 is helping us explore the universe. Well, I, I guess that they um, kind of must have custom-made this update then, or it might be one of these mm. additional ones that you have to download, because um, Windows 98 went on to second edition, SE, uh, which, which was a huge kind of update. But I can imagine this is a space edition, maybe, SE, has kind of been (laughs) (laughs) sent out. And uh, yeah, I I guess they're doing it via radio, um, sending the data across. So that's probably the only way they can communicate. And I can imagine that connection's going to be pretty slow. So it might take a long time to update. But I mean, this has been making headlines
0: everywhere. And I mean, the reason we're talking about it is, you know, a new update for Windows 98. I mean, I don't expect you're going to see like, you know, Mars edition on archive.org anytime soon. (laughs) Um, Obviously, this is very custom for their hardware, but it is quite interesting when you think how many kind of obsolete systems and computer operating systems and hardware is still running in various places. I mean, here on Earth... We've often talked about it as in, like, you know, if it isn't broke, don't, don't fix it. But stuff like this, it's it's interesting that they've got to kind of keep this software supported because there's no other option to replace it. So. Wasn't
1: there a Game Boy on the space station as well? So I can imagine you're right that there is lots of old stuff like that. I think there is actually um, a trend of uh, using old satellites uh, for stuff that they're not supposed to be used for, stuff like, you know, satellite phone conversations and uh stuff like that people jack them and take them over hackers do and uh yeah i think that's quite interesting that you've got all this retro tech like orbiting around the earth or other planets (laughs) yeah and some of it does need updating i just imagine like aliens finding it in like a thousand years and you know having a ball on
0: 3D Pinball Space Cadet. <laughs> yeah,
2: oh, Windows, not yet. playing Minecraft. <laughs> yeah. Not Minecraft, so. Minesweeper.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, very cool. I'll link up that story if you want to check it out as well. Now, of course, um, Sega have been in the news quite a lot. We did talk about it last week, the uh, Mega Drive Mini 2, and there is um, a couple of updates on that now. Something that we were speculating about on last week's show. Are they going to release a Mega CD 2 to clip onto it? And, uh,
2: of course, they are yeah this looks looks really cool i don't is there an official name kind of like Because obviously the tower of power was kind of like i guess not the official name but the tower of power was kind of the name for the the mega drive one where it had the sega cd on the bottom and the 32x in the top whereas there isn't really is there a nickname really for the sega cd2 clip on it's just the sexy cider the sexy cider have you just come up with that now it you? goes on the side <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's made it running. um but now it looks really it does look smart um as always makes me want to buy it matching with the the Japanese style one. So it's got the blue buttons rather than the red buttons, but I'm sure, I'm sure there will be a, uh, a release with the, you know, like the power kind of version of it and stuff, but it just looks, just looks really cute and nice, you know, I'd love to have it on my shelf, but they also announced an additional 11 games for the Mega Drive mini Two. So obviously they'd already announced what about 10,
1: 11 uh, last week,
2: the week before.
0: And everyone was kicking off. Oh, this is not on there. And, and, and on they there. were also
1: me- very mega CD based as well yeah well, yeah was there was Sega yeah. CD titles that they had yeah. announced so it's yeah I mean that's a bit of a teaser you
2: know yeah that's kind of like the big thing isn't it of the, the of this this new mini console obviously it's got the Sega CD games on there as well but um they've announced 11 Mega Drive games for it so um some pretty good games on there might might take your fancy down so we've got Outrun Afterburner 2, Night Striker, The Ninja Warriors, uh, Starblade, Splat House 2 which I think is a great addition uh, Nadia, the secret of blue water, uh, mega panel puzzling puzzle and action. Itch R. I believe how you say that columns free and then star mobile, which is a mega drive debut. I'm not too sure what that one is, but yeah, we've still got about another 30 games to be announced for it. Um, so I don't know what they're going to come up with because of, you know, the mega drive had a big library of about 550, maybe 600 games. And obviously we've already had like 40, 50 on the first Mega Drive and now
1: they're doing all different ones by the sounds of things. Well, the, if it's Mega CD, we talked about this. Last yeah. Week. Would it be Night Trap and Sewer, sewer Shark and yeah, well, you titles know, we've,
2: like that? We've only had a few CD games announced so far, so it will be nice if they do like 20 CD games on there. And like you say, we do get like Night Trap and stuff like that as well because how controversial would that be? Like, Well, it probably wouldn't even be that controversial, but just mental that Night Trap came under so much... You know, fire and stuff like that in the early nineties. For it then to just be released on a mini console in twenty twenty
1: two would just like, be hilarious. Dragged into court, you know, it was a yeah. huge, huge controversial court case, and uh, uh, I think it actually that and Mortal Kombat kind of led to the rating system mm. within games. Yeah, um, yeah. Was, and then you play that game though. And how tame? How how is Nitro? <laughs> yeah, think, yeah, yeah. It was it was a bigger, uh, sensational kind of thing where the press blew it up, didn't they? So yeah. It would be interesting, though, to see stuff like Tomcat Alley and
2: uh, Time Gal.
1: I'd love a bit know. of Corpse Killer on there. Oh yes, yes, that's Time Gal. Yeah, that's a good idea as well.
2: Actually, yeah,
0: it does seem interesting because I mean, obviously, we've got kind of the the games you'd expect mm. on the first one. You know, Sonic was on there, Echo the Dolphin, and that kind of thing. It does seem like the the game selection on the Mega Drive Mini Two a little bit more eclectic. It's a little yeah. bit all over the place. You have got, like, you know, obviously the the massive arcade games, stuff like Outrun. Is on there which i'm very pleased to see Splatterhouse house 2 as well um i'm not sure how commercially successful that game is but it's definitely a cult classic
2: yeah isn't it, Splatterhouse it, 2? It, it does seem like it, it's far from like all the scraping the bottle bar, of the barrel here or anything like that it's just at, w- at what point do you you know does it become a little bit like you say more obscure because it's like you know like i say there's like hundreds and hundreds of mega drive games and genesis games but if you ask the kind of like even like a casual fan, like, more than a casual fan, I mean, I'm a massive Mega Drive fan, but if you sat me down and said, right, list 100 Mega Drive games now and CD games, like, just write them down for the next hour, like, I might even struggle, you know, you know, to come up with some really popular titles that everybody's heard of, so...
1: You know, I don't it, think, uh, like, Columns 3 is yeah, it's it's random. Like, Why 3? Yeah, because Columns 1 was on the last one. <laughs> it seemed like a weird addition. It, it,
2: it, it is odd, but I'm what I'm hoping won't happen is that the next kind of 20, 2030 games that get announced, which haven't been announced yet are just like the games that were on the last mega drive, you know, Oh, it's also got Sonic one, two and three streets of rage one and two. Like I want it. I do want it to be like 50 games that haven't been done yet. And I am really hopeful that like Ravi says that we get like the likes of night trap and time gal and stuff like that. That'll be, I think that'd be such a cool selling point. And the fact that they've admitted that they, they can't really afford to do the Saturn mini and the, the Dreamcast Mini at the moment give us this obscurity, give us this like
1: what some people might not have played and stuff. I think it would, it, be a it would really just good be idea. fun to see that little letterbox video display. Cast. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> squint your eyes as you play <laughs> on your fifty-inch TV, yeah, yeah, blown up in HD.
0: It does kind of feel like this game selection so far feels more like for the fans, doesn't it, yeah. than the casual consumer. I'm not sure whether we're going to see any, you know, Sonic Two or Three on here. It hasn't been announced already, has it, any it, Sonic There was Sonic games, was that CD. That no, just Sonic no. CD. No, Sonic CD, that's Yeah, right, I, yeah. Don't,
2: I could be wrong, but I don't think they've announced any games which were on the last Mega Drive Mini yet.
0: And the fact that Sonic Origins is out there and they probably probably you to buy that instead yeah. of
2: uh, the originals.
0: Although, I've got to talk about that because um, last week in our patrons bit, I was saying how hyped I was for Sonic Origins. I was about to buy it, then I read the reviews.
1: Oh, they're not good. Ha-
0: have you guys... Um,
1: Yeah, I've seen (laughs) the reviews and I've seen it's taken a bit of a hammering and uh, Mm. stuff like the upscaling in there. And um, yeah, there's 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 been a bit of negativity about the DLC as well. Um, The fact that it's kind of like a lot of the content needs to be unlocked with paid DLC. That's a shame. I do want
0: it, but I'll probably wait till the price comes down a bit, I think, after reading that. Maybe not play, you know, full whack for that game. But if you're a Sega fan, plenty of stuff to look forward to at the moment. So we'll link up that full list in our show notes as well. While we're talking about Sega, I imagine you were practically wetting your pants with excitement (laughs) about this news, Joe. Resident Evil 2 is coming to the Sega Saturn at last.
2: (laughs) Yeah, sort of, sort of. So obviously... I I was going to say famously, probably not that famously, it's the Sega Saturn at the end of the day. There was a Resident Evil 1 port for the Sega Saturn, which had a lot of differences to the original Resident Evil. I mean, maybe at a glance, it just looks like the same game, but the graphics were very different. You know, the whole way the Saturn works is completely different to how the PlayStation 1 works. It's like
1: the way that it renders polygons.
2: Yeah, the way it renders polygons. Um, the, uh, quads diverse Triangles and stuff Yes, like that. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, I'm glad you know it all Ravi, but like, with the differing effects and stuff it's all very, very different, but this is a, um, a survival prototype engine, it's called at the moment, which was revealed last week and I've seen this in, I'm in a lot of Sega Saturn-like forums and stuff and, you know, buying and collecting forums and stuff because I just love the Saturn and Resident Evil 2, they pretty much by the time this was kind of coming, they were moving on to the Dreamcast and you know, they just said it was going to be too difficult to get such a big game on the on the Sega Saturn. So it just never it never happened. That the, the put the Sega port for Resident Evil 2 was on the Dreamcast, which is a really nice port. Um, but this comes from a YouTuber called um Casto Group, who've obviously said they've nothing to do with Capcom, you know, it's not affiliated with Capcom or anything like that. But essentially they're running Resident Evil Two on a Sega Saturn. Uh but to do this they've essentially had to make their own game engine for it. So it's kind of running in its own prototype engine, which is called the survival prototype engine. And so far they've only got a couple of minutes of gameplay going. It's not got any sound and they're only playing as Claire so far. So it's very, very, very basic compared to like the final Resident Evil 2 product. But for a fan of Resident Evil and a fan of the Sega Saturn for me, this was like, oh my God, this is insane. This is crazy. I don't know if you guys have seen the video and, are familiar enough with Resident Evil but the graphics have taken a bit of a hit
1: yeah they, um, they look a bit like um do you know Tomb Raider when it came out on the, yeah. on the Saturn and the difference yeah. in uh, quality where it's not such stretched textures it's more kind of it's hard to say it's more kind of like broken up um, yeah like low res for the actual characters
2: yeah it's quite low res and Essentially, it looks a lot like what Resident Evil 1's polygons look like, and that might just be because it is running on the Saturn hardware. You know, obviously it's a video on YouTube, but, you know, they are claiming this is running on the Saturn. It's not running in, like, you know, emulation or anything like that, which is really cool. But what makes me laugh is, like, things that are going to come is, like, the door animation. They're currently working (laughs) on getting the door animation in there, Uh, and obviously you've got to get the sound in there and stuff like that. So a really, really cool project. Hopefully, you know, Capcom won't shut it down. Or if they are shutting it down, it's because they're doing an official release of Resident Evil 2 for the Saturn, which would I don't think we'll see. I, keep dreaming.
1: I don't see how they can shut this one down because this is an engine that's yeah. using the Resident Evil 2 data. Mm. But it's just the engine that's developed. So obviously there's going to be a way that you can import the data or use the original disc yeah. or, or something to load it up. So they, I don't think they've got any assets but what they're essentially doing is reverse engineering yeah the uh engine to create this survival engine and i don't, I don't know that would be really hard to kind of do them but you know i mean they, they could say the using outfits their, can get you know their uh, characters yeah. and
0: everything couldn't they um, yeah but i imagined it capcom generally from what i've seen they're not you know not like nintendo well, no they, they, they're usually different.
1: pretty
2: cool with it we spoke about it before but you know it's interesting like all the enemies are the same zombie whereas Resident Evil 2 actually had a lot of different um, it did have a lot of different you know zombie like um, sprites I guess you you know They're obviously having to use the same enemy throughout and then uh, also it does skip like I say it skips the animations it also skips all the clips near the start of the game when you first work into the, walk into the kendo gun shop and stuff like that so one I'm going to keep my eye on hopefully in a couple of months time or a year or so I'll be able to report on it and say it's a fully fledged game and you can you know play it on your everdrives and stuff like that so fingers crossed
0: Well, I was going to say the frame rate on it looks really smooth because it's locked at even with lots of zombies on the screen.
2: There's no slowdown. Yeah, Yeah, there's no slowdown. And like Dan says, it's locked at 33 frames per second, uh, Mm. which I think is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And if you look at the intro as well, um, I'll link up the video so people can check it out. At the start of it, it says initializing using DRAM four megabytes. So I'm wondering whether it needs, you know, the RAM expansion cartridge, which would make sense. Yeah, that would
2: make sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because it looks quite demanding for the Saturn. But yeah, very cool. I think it's always amazing when the community kind of, uh, you know, take it upon themselves to release these games that never were. Yeah. That fans hoped for 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 many years now. So definitely want to keep your eye on. I'll put up everything we know in our show notes as well. Now, this weekend, if you join us on Patreon, it's a good time to join, actually, because you're going to get plenty of perks for being a Patreon supporter of this show. And can we just say, what a massive, massive gratitude we've got to all our patrons because we really couldn't do this podcast without your support so if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help the cause um, throw a little bit into the tip jar just so we can keep the lights on we can keep episodes coming out every week and actually if you join us this weekend you will get a new episode of our patrons exclusive podcast the retro hour after hours now this time these i think are always my favorite ones when we take it back to a particular year in gaming and technology, we talk about all the big releases in that year, plenty of memories and stuff as well. Although, actually, um, bearing in mind this was the year that you were born, Joe. I, I have <laughs> not five that many memories for well. you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I purposely picked 1989 because of um, about a week or so ago, I was trying to come up with ideas for the Patreon, and I ended up doing like the next kind of like ten episodes, like ideas. And I thought, you know what? Let's do the months we were born in. Let's do. The, the the year you know talk about the year that we were born, um so I went for nineteen eighty nine because I was born in June eighty nine so I thought it'd be quite interesting and although we all would have been very young or not born yet, um I think we're gonna know a lot of big things happened in eighty nine and I'm sure uh, we've got a lot
1: of things you know to talk about and a lot there of were, there were a lot stuff. of changes in a uh, gaming culture there but yeah, also yeah. if, if you guys do support the patron you get an ad free episode as well so you do get the after hours podcast you get an ad free episode and you get to join our patron community which is on discord awesome bunch of people but also you get to do the patrons meetup, which we just had recently and uh, that was really good fun
0: Yeah, we've got another one of those coming up. We do these uh, once a month on a Sunday where a bunch of us all get together on Google Meet. We just have a bit of a nerd out session for a couple of hours, kind of like a virtual users group meeting. It's always incredible to see new people joining us as well. And uh, we always like to have a little look at your gaming collection and room tours. Because every time we get someone new on, they're like, oh, I'll give you a little tour of our gaming collection. Don't know about you guys. My jaw normally
1: drops. Oh yeah. I see our this, yeah, this time we had a, a guy, Gareth, who's a retro hammer, who's one of our great supporters and actually staff on Discord at the retro hour. And uh, he was showing this huge, huge section of his house that he actually had, which was this uh, area that he was turning into a kind of LAN arena. So you could go around his house and <laughs> do a, a LAN party and all play Doom on some classic PCs.
0: So we'd love to see you as part of our patrons community, and um, you can join for just a couple of pounds, a couple of dollars, a couple of euros a month. All the details are at retrohour.com. Now, before we get into this week's special guest, Crazy Ken from the Computer Clan is coming up very soon. If we're talking about mega nerdy things that really impress us, we've got to talk about this. The Floppatron has had an update. Now, for people that might not be familiar with the Floppertron,
1: tell us what it is, Ravi. The Floppatron is um a a very interesting device it's i'm sure you might have seen these videos on youtube's where you've got a like star Wars Imperial March played on that that's disc. that is
2: actually the Floppatron one isn't it where yeah. the, the viral video from twenty eleven where it plays the imperial March I got tagged in that so many times around then, like all my mums and aunties and stuff like joe likes retro stuff and star wars <laughs> like, well i'm gonna tag him in this now
1: well the the guy creating it is uh zadronsniak i think that's how you say his name and um he's basically expanded the floppy into a full orchestra <laughs> this is absolutely mental so he's got um 512 floppy disk drives all connected together 16 hard drives and four flatbed scanners as well because the scanners always make that kind of rrr, rrr, zrr, rrr kind of sounds with the motors yeah in. and the floppy disks just sound amazing now what he's done with this is is pretty awesome like um uh, the articles on the virgin it's actually referring to the old steam organs and this used to be a thing very british that you turn up to an event, and there'd be a, a guy in a steam with a steam organ and he'd kind of pump it up, and they'd have these like paper sheets with holes in them. They'd run them through and they'd actually play like the latest dance tunes or something. So you'd be there and no there'd be like an old guy with a steam organ playing like Mr. Mr. Vane or There's No Limit or <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty awesome. And this works on the same kind of principle. So he's actually connected it um, to a PC using a MIDI converter and then that connects to a gateway and they have all individual controllers and then these run arrays of the floppy drives and each of the floppy drives would be triggered by MIDI so they would go as a different MIDI device and the whole thing together just sounds absolutely immense. I can't imagine how loud it is and how much electricity it takes up. His bill is going to be really expensive for running this. Do
0: you want to have a listen then to what 512 floppy disk drives, 16 hard drives, and four flatbed scanners sound like together? Here it is. This is the Floppatron 3.0. (laughs) <laughs> I love the different pitches yeah, it, it, that it's got as well, how it slows down and speeds up again. It really honestly
1: remind me of those steam organs as well. I'm sure you used to see a few yeah. of them in Yorkshire <laughs> in your youth. <laughs> How old do you think I am? So, uh, <laughs> the retro years, yeah, 18, 1889.
0: One. <laughs> so yeah, this is incredible. And by far, I think probably the geekiest thing we've ever talked about on this podcast, but I love it. So if you're going to check out the, uh, the full video, I'll stick that in our show notes as well. Now let's talk about um, another story, <laughs> talking about Windows, an old edition. We already talked about Windows 98, getting a new update. But this is a headline I didn't think I'd ever see. Windows 95 running on the Mega Drive. Well, not quite. This is a simulation. Of Windows
1: ninety five. Finally joke and go on Windows ninety five
2: <laughs> I've been on Windows ninety five, not on the Mega Drive though. But yeah, this is um I just can't believe how fast it's all running, you know, like 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 you say, it's a simulation, so I don't know, you know, how much is really going on, but the fact that it's actually running on the Mega Drive just makes me want like a physical mega drive cartridge of it, you know, in the box and everything on my shelf.
1: Yes. Which
0: they are releasing uh, is that right? Is is this coming out on physical?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, it's actually uh, you, you can buy um, the actual cartridge, printed and uh, a case for it as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, this is by Mikey Eldy. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's actually called Mikey Eldy ninety five. Well, well,
1: this is um. quite funny because the guy who's created it, Mikey Eldy, he's he's replaced everything with his face. <laughs> so, yeah. like, he's even got a section with the dancing baby. You remember the dancing baby gif? Oh, the gif. Yeah, yeah, but the baby's <laughs> his head. It's it's amazing. So um, what it is is he's actually releases music. So it's got twenty. It's like a, a package for his music releases, and it's got uh, twenty original songs that he's made on there. Um, but it's in this Windows theme, so it starts up as Windows ninety five. You have the desktop. You've even got Clippy on the desktop. Oh. You got a start menu. Um, you can you can do stuff like reset it and get mail in your inbox and then suddenly you get stuff like the i love you virus sent to you um, <laughs> you get like certain stuff in there so it's it's a simulator it simulates internet browsers as well so there's a few like absolutely insane sites of the 90s with gifts, like the hamster dance yeah. <laughs> and old Geo
0: city sites and
1: and then there's like little versions of of the games as well
0: yeah so i think this is really good and what a great idea because we've we all know that the music industry these days is very saturated and just trying to get noticed. I think you've got to kind of do something that's going to make the headlines to get your tracks noticed. And really, like you said, Ravi, this is just a rapper for his new album, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, With 20 original songs on there, obviously he's put a lot of work into it. Games on here like, you know, 3D Maze. There's Hacky Sack as well, Reflex. All these games have been ported to this too. But it looks like when you put it in, it boots up what appears to be a windows 95 style desktop and he's got all the icons there from windows 95 as well that you use the mega drive controller to navigate between and obviously you press ma or press start to open the start menu as well and it looks like it works really well but yeah i just think i mean there's a lot of nostalgia in there as well but in terms of releasing music for the mega drive this is a really unique and clever way of doing it i think
1: yeah it's it's awesome and like he's he's copied every asset pretty much. It must have taken quite an effort to actually get this going because I noticed that he's got like different displays in there. So you've got like hot dog stand and all the old kind of uh, um, like colour schemes that you could get for it. And at the very end, this was the ultimate nostalgia hit for me. At the very end, it says it's now safe to turn your console off uh, once (laughs) Windows (laughs) is shut down.
0: So you can get it from his website, um, mikeyld.itch.io. Like you said, there is a physical cartridge available, the first run. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the first sold run
1: sold out, yeah, <laughs> straight away.
0: Yeah, second run's coming in August, uh, so if you want to get a hold of it, um, you can pre-order now. Uh, but also, you can just download the, the ROM file if you've got an EverDrive or you want to run, run it on an emulator. And it's one of these, you know, name your own price, so you can pay whatever you want. But it looks like a hell of a lot of work has gone into this and uh, just how mind-blowing it is to see the Windows 95 interface running on the Sega Mega Drive.
1: Yeah, it's just like, why hasn't somebody done this before? (laughs) This is so
0: cool. So yeah, if you want to get hold of that, I'll put it. And everything else we talk about, you don't have to Google around for the stories. You'll find them all on your podcast app of choice or in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, we're going to be talking to this week's special guest, Crazy Ken from Computer Clan in just a minute. And before we do that, quick reminder, actually, if you want a bit of extra Ravi this weekend in your podcasting life, um, you've been doing a bit of moonlighting this week, right? Yeah,
1: I've, I've betrayed you guys and I've uh, jumped onto this week in retro. So uh, you could check that podcast out. That's a fantastic one with um, Neil from RMC and uh, he's been running that. It's kind of like our news section, but a bit longer basically uh, with more detail well, more in well. depth and polished yeah, i think is yeah. the words you're looking for ravi but i did uh, enjoy ravi's it getting, yeah and it's on video as well so that should be on youtube
0: yeah ravi's been getting a few tips on how to do a professional podcast uh, for this week in retro so you can <laughs> check them out uh when's it out tomorrow uh yes yeah so this week in retro if you want some extra ravi in your life this week uh, a big thank you as well for uh the latest apple podcast reviews a few of those that have come in over the last couple of weeks we really appreciate those if you get chance to leave us one little five-star rating in your podcast app of choice a little nice review that always helps us get in front of new people so a really good way to support this show and next we are going to be getting really nerdy about all things apple prototypes classic Macs, next bos all of that with our special guest crazy ken from computer clan is on the way next on the retro hour podcast You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast and it is time for our favourite part of the show when we welcome on a very special guest and you know Ravi and I always love a good excuse to really geek out about classic computers, you know, we're really in our element here and our guest this week has got one of our favourite YouTube channels that delves into particularly loads of classic Apple stuff and Next and obscure prototypes too so let's welcome on Crazy Ken from YouTube channel The Computer Clan. How you doing Ken? Hey guys, how are you all doing? I'm doing great! Yeah, great to have you on, okay. Kev. Like I said, big fans for many years, Thank so you. it's uh, awesome to finally talk to you. And we always like to kind of find out kind of our our guests' geek credentials, you know, kind of going <laughs> back to, to day one, what originally got them into what they do today. I mean, do you remember your journey in computers then? What was your first machine and uh, what got you interested originally?
3: hundred percent. I totally remember. So I was only two years old, so I'm going to summon my two-year-old's brain right now. But <laughs> my, wow. my family had a... Performa. It was either a Performa or like a Power Max 6400. I think they both used the same case. I'm just looking at like the old photographs. And that was back when Apple just like had the same case for different models of computer. But either way, it was probably a Performa. So you know, I grew up in the System 7 era. Playing my good old point-and-click CD-ROMs, you know, like Pajama Sam and Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo and all that good stuff. High quality graphics. (laughs) Hey, it was the early 90s or whatever. It was good stuff. So anyway. Good for the time. Good for the time. No, it was amazing. Yeah, I played those games hundreds of times. Like, even though I know how it ends, I'm still playing it. Anyway, that kind of just continued. And then eventually, well, it's like 2000, 2001, that computer's getting a little clunky, right? So the family decides to move to Windows, which, you know, I I didn't really know what that meant. I was like, oh, okay, Windows, yay. And it was fun. I played a lot of games. I don't really play games much anymore, but I played a lot of games back in the day on this Windows PC. It had a lot of problems. The thing stopped working, so we switched back to a Mac like six, seven years later. Mm -hmm. And that's where I first started teaching myself video editing because, you know, Apple had iMovie on there and it was just kind of intuitive and easy to use. But then as I kept exploring on how to make videos, that's when I started uploading to YouTube. Right. And then as I'm uploading to YouTube, just kind of doing little skits with my friends, not really doing tech stuff yet the more i keep exploring youtube the more i keep like searching my own interests like oh hey max i want to learn more about max and i keep seeing like all these other channels that are doing like this retro stuff like trying to mm. upgrade these old computers and stuff and then i started watching steve Jobs's like old keynotes like when he first introduced the imac and all that stuff and that time travel really fascinated me so i would say david defranco aka the creative one and alfred de blasi those are like the two big retro tech channels i watched back in the day and they were my main inspirations to start my retro collection which is more than just apple stuff but it's a good chunk of apple stuff and my first <laughs> retro collection uh, collectible was a uh, an indigo iMac g3 and started doing videos on that and it just kind of kept going and going from there and you know retro computer stuff isn't the only thing i like to do on youtube because there's there's a lot of different tech things i like to do but it's 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 one of the big things. I like the history. I like the past stuff. I I typically like the older stuff more than the newer stuff, not to sound like a hipster or anything.
0: (laughs) You're fitting well here, Ken. Yes, there
3: we go. (laughs) So it's it's turned in from a hobby into a business. YouTube is my business now, and it's been a lot of fun.
1: Well, when you were, like, researching the the Mac and uh, you started seeing it on YouTube and seeing the wider world of it, and back then it was it was maybe seen as a bit of an underdog, uh, whereas now, you know, there's a, a pretty big balance with the PC stuff. Um, th- what did you think about that? And what did you think about other regions of the world where Mac wasn't so popular as well?
3: Yeah, I kind of just was like, okay, oh, hey, this is the way it is because Windows, Microsoft played the different game with the PC where they're like, they're going to focus on the software and focus on licensing. So they have a bunch of different companies with massive reach to get the PC everywhere. But when you look at, PC versus Mac. It's like, well, the PC is a bunch of different companies make, making up that slice of the pie, right? Apple is just one company. So, considering it's just one company versus a bunch, I think the nab uh, or the the piece of the pie that Apple has is actually really impressive. And yes, it's gotten bigger, but back then it was smaller. And I was like, whatever. I mean, when I was younger, I was totally into the whole Mac versus PC thing, like being a total <laughs> troll online. Not really a troll, but like, you know.
1: Well, Apple even the did- companies were, the adverts were. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I was <laughs> yeah. actually, I was actually just going to say that I was, you know, the whole like Justin Long commercials that Apple did, you know, the hi, I'm a Mac, hi, I'm a PC, like that kind of stuff, I think really started those d- debates and stuff online. And I partook in that. I don't anymore because it's childish and ridiculous. But when I was younger and had nothing better to do, I totally was in the whole Mac versus PC war back in the day. Um, but looking back at it, it's like, well, that's just how it is. You know, Apple has a smaller market share, whatever. The underdog thing kind of makes it interesting in a way. The whole story yeah, and, of Apple. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and there was always kind of a, a Mac in the corner of an office, you know, as the as the creative computer. And maybe right, yeah. Be, you know, dominated even, with PCs. But
3: Even back like in my middle school, like, of course, it's like going to be all PCs. But we had the one table of two iMacs that, you know, they used for iMovie. Which makes sense because there's not really a kid friendly, this was like 2005, by the way, there's not really like a kid friendly like editing software on Windows at the time. No Firewire either. So,
0: yeah, Windows Movie Maker wasn't the strongest, was it? <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, talking a bit more about your YouTube channel and Ken, I mean, tell us what, what is the Computer Clan then? Where did this kind of idea come from? The
3: Computer Clan started because when I was initially making videos with my nice little Sony Handycam and my iMac, I had nowhere to publish them. I was like, I want to share these with people. And this was the middle of 2007. So YouTube was a baby If I did my homework right, Google hasn't even owned them for a year at this point. This was really baby YouTube when I started. So I started publishing these things on YouTube because I wanted people to to leave feedback. I wanted to see what people thought of the videos that I made, even though I wasn't really (laughs) making really good videos. If you ever see some of my old stuff, you'll be like, whoa, what the heck? (laughs) But I iteratively kept getting better and better and better. Now it is how it is now. It's, I will humbly say, one of the best produced tech YouTube channels out there, especially considering it's a one-man band. I I surprise people when I say this. I don't have a crew. Oh, wow. I don't have employees. This is, <laughs> this is me. I am very blessed to have volunteers that do help out. Sometimes they help me with research. Sometimes they help me film some stuff. But 99.9% of the time, it is all just me.
0: That's really interesting to hear because, I mean, as as you mentioned then, I mean, you put a lot of effort into your production values Mm -hmm. and I I wondered if you had a team around you because it looks that good. I mean, have you got kind of a background in, have you studied like video in the past or anything like that? Yeah. Was it all self-taught?
3: It was all like, I would say it's a combination of self-built and I did go to school for it. I didn't go to like a film school or anything, but I started self-teaching myself video production and video editing when I was probably 12. and. Yeah, it's mostly self-taught, but I I did take classes. And uh, then I ended up teaching some classes, actually. Uh, When I graduated from the college, they brought me back to do some adjunct stuff. But yeah, it's uh, a lot of self-taught and just learning how to learn. And I think learning how to learn is one of the best skills you can give yourself.
1: So where did the uh, name Crazy Ken come from then?
3: The Crazy Ken thing, I, I just really like alliterations like CC, Computer Clan, KK, Crazy Ken. I just think it all like bounced really well, but the stupid origin story behind that. And I haven't told this to many people is once upon a time, I was about to go live on a webcast. We're maybe like 10 minutes out from going on the air. And I I don't know if I like, like was eating a quick snack before or whatever. I don't know what happened, but like a crumb got stuck under the option key on my laptop. And I'm like, crap, I can't press the key. Now I got to get this fixed before I go live. So I take the key cap off to clean it. Of course, I break the switch. So now I don't have an option key (laughs) and I'm about to go live and I I can't control (laughs) any of these shortcuts now. And I was kind of like jokingly freaking out while I'm on the conference call because it's like, what are we going to do? Oh my gosh, we got to go live. This thing isn't working. And I jokingly called myself Crazy Ken and I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of a clever name, (laughs) but I didn't (laughs) I, I didn't really do anything with it until I needed like a character for a show I did later. It was called Crazy Ken's Classic Video Games where I played retro video games and I reviewed them. And I I just kind of wanted to give myself a name. So that's where I started using the name Crazy Ken in published content. But that didn't really go anywhere because my audience isn't really mainly focused on gaming and I don't even mainly focus on gaming. I was just trying it out, it didn't really work. The tech stuff in general works way more than the game stuff. So, the gaming show didn't really succeed, but then it was probably like uh 2 years later, that's when I started Crazy Ken's Tech Misadventures where I document myself trying to fix something or tinker with something and that started taking off.
0: Well, you cover, you know, modern technology on your channel as well, but obviously retro and rare prototypes. Yeah are a big part of what you do as well. I mean, why that focus then? Where did that kind of, you know, the prototype kind of element come into it? The
3: prototype thing came from when I was researching stuff for my vintage Apple vault show. The whole concept of vintage Apple vault was I was going to like travel and like meet up with collectors and do retrospectives on these like vintage and retro pieces of Apple technology. And while I was researching that, I came across a a guy named Hap who's out in California and he has a massive massive prototype collection. He has some insanely rare stuff. And, you know, I'm not like a professional appraiser, but if I had to appraise his collection, he probably has at a minimum, probably a half a million dollars worth of prototypes. Oh, wow. So probably more. Uh, He was also on CNBC. So as I was researching him, I saw the CNBC piece where he gave a tour to one of their like cameraman guys. And I saw his collection and I was like, wow, I want to film this for my show. I email him and he emails me back in like 10 minutes and I'm like, okay, this is good. This is a good start. So we hit it off. I go film his massive collection. And then through him, I just started meeting more people in the Apple prototype and Apple internal community. And from there I started finding more things to collect myself. And I started finding some things on eBay to add to my collection. And then I started doing more videos about those things and those performed because, They're I mean, not always like my recent uh, PowerBook G4 prototype one did perform so well, but it's hit or miss sometimes. But generally they perform because they're rare pieces of Apple history that you normally never see because they normally don't get out to the public. And I feel like most people don't have the ability to make videos about that stuff. So I consider that a strength of mine and I play to that strength.
1: Well, where would you actually get hold of them then? You mentioned some Apple internal people. Like, have you uh, robbed Steve Wozniak's basement or anything (laughs) like that?
3: Yeah, so a lot of times when a company, or specifically Apple, I won't speak for other companies, but like in regards to Apple's prototypes, at least in the older days, when a project gets finished, sometimes the engineers will get early development models as gifts because they worked on the project. And sometimes that stuff just gets handed down to other people. Sometimes that stuff gets sold. I'm I'm willing to bet. I've never dumpster dove myself, but I'm willing to bet some stuff ends up in a dumpster somewhere and someone retrieves it and it gets online somehow. <laughs> um
0: I, I'd love to ride Apple's dumpsters around the back oh, of the Oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> I, I know, right?
3: Now I'm sure they're a lot more like secretive about this stuff now. I don't have anything in my collection that's really new. And I don't know if I would feel comfortable with that in general. It's it's usually retro stuff that I have. And I'm sure back in the day, they were a lot more loose with security of disposal and stuff like uh, that.
1: Apparently, like uh, Steve Jobs at one of the shows took some prototypes and just chucked them in the bin, uh, like left them at the show, didn't care. And like, uh, you know, I've also heard that he threw an iPod in a fish tank as well. That was... Another one. One oh, uh, of the I, iPod prototypes, and said there is that there's still air in there. So uh. <laughs> yeah, make it smaller. Yeah.
3: I uh, wow. I, I I haven't heard that story, but uh, it doesn't surprise me. That's probably something that happened. But uh, yeah, nowadays, I mean, I am not the expert on finding like newer prototype type stuff, you know. But uh, I have friends who are. I don't really know mm. how they do it, but they somehow have the magic source.
1: <laughs> well, what are the uh, favorite prototypes that you've covered on the channel? Then your personal faves,
3: I would say, Oh, if we're talking about like things I don't own, there was some really cool stuff that hap has in his collection. There was a, a 20th anniversary Macintosh there. And just for context, for those who don't know the 20th anniversary Macintosh was a very like special flat computer design that Apple only did once. They never made another version of it. It was kind of like the IMAX grandfather, but anyway, He had a silver version of that. It was more of like a champagne, like bronzy color when it released, but he had a silver one with like a marble textured base instead of like the anodized aluminum base. And I'm like, whoa, this is I've never seen this before. So that Tam prototype that he has is really cool. Uh, He also has some clear shot Max where they made the cases clear so they could see the components working inside during the testing stages. Those I, I don't have in my collection yet, but. Super envious of those. Those are really freaking cool.
1: Were they also like used for airflow and stuff like that? So they would put a smoke in them and kind of see if it went round.
3: Probably. I've heard stories about that too, and I, I, I would I would say yes, especially because airflow <laughs> was um, let's just say a problem with the early Macs. <laughs> uh, you know, with Steve Jobs' uh, desire of no fan and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure they. Did something with airflow i've never witnessed that in person but that would make sense and um personally in my collection i would say my favorite piece is that imac g3 prototype because i've never seen another one of those anywhere it's uh the first generation bondi blue imac g3 but instead of it being like frosted plastic it's smooth plastic it doesn't have the emi shields in it so you can see into it And, you know, like certain things are blanked out, like there's no serial number. Uh, The logic board is yellow instead of green. Uh, It has a floppy drive connector on it with a cable, which is pretty cool. They probably use that for testing. Uh, The board has an ADB port on it. You know, they moved away from ADB for USB for the iMac. Mm. This prototype still has an ADB port on it, which there's no cutout on the case for it. So it was probably just for like internal testing, whatever. But yeah, I would say that's my coolest prototype and if we can get it working one day that would be sick
0: i find that really interesting that apple left a a floppy connector header on the board even though they were telling everyone that no one needed one of those anymore that's
3: what makes the story so cool because it's like you can kind of see like where they've been with this computer even though yeah they were trying to kill that off and i'm guessing again it was on there just to test stuff But like even on the retail versions, you can see the solder pads. There's no header there, but you can still see the solder pads on the logic board where the floppy drive connector was.
0: I wonder if new um, prototype iPhones have got headphone jacks on them.
3: (laughs) That that, it wouldn't surprise me if that existed somewhere.
0: (laughs) Well, have you um, ever received any like angry emails from Apple for like, you know, showing this stuff off? Have you ever had any feedback or anything off them? No,
3: I never have. Actually, I've braced myself for that. And Through a second hand, I have seen what Apple's legal team says about this kind of prototypey stuff. And generally speaking, they don't really care if it's like older than five years or so. Mm -hmm. So everything in my collection is like prototype wise is probably at least except for one thing is like six years old. Everything else is probably like 20 something years old. (laughs) So, yeah, generally five years is kind of like the rule of thumb. But, like, for example, that iMac that left the factory early and it had, like, all of that, like, testing software on it by accident. I did an episode about that and it really took off. And I was, like, fully mentally preparing for Apple to contact me. And I was like, hey, if you guys want this back, you can have it back. Like, go Hmm. for it. But nothing ever happened. Apple has never contacted me.
1: If it was Nintendo, it would have just been. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Same day. I'm not a.
3: I won't go near that place. Not not, (laughs) going to do that.
0: (laughs) You know, I find it really interesting, Ken, because, you know, as you mentioned, you were kind of someone who kind of looked at the 80s and 90s Apple stuff, you know, a bit retrospectively, because Apple were a very different company back then. Um, You know, and I remember, because here in the UK, um really, I don't remember Macs taking off until like kind of the early 2000s, really. Um, they were a bit more just in publishing houses and stuff like that. I mean, I, I was a Commodore Amiga fan, you know, when I was mm-hmm. younger. But I remember around that time you had like Atari went bust, Commodore went bust. And really, everyone kind of expected Apple to as well. But yep. obviously it had that big resurgence. I mean, kind of looking back retrospectively to the Apple of the 80s and 90s. I mean, what is it you like about those classic machines then? And uh, what differences do you see from Apple today?
3: I like a lot of the design things they explored with back in the day. I was grateful enough to get my hands on a physical copy of the Apple design, like uh, industrial group book. It's literally just called Apple design. And um, it's so cool to see like photos of all the internal prototype, like hard shell models and the foam models to see all the different ways they were exploring with industrial design. And... I just like seeing how things change, especially when Steve Jobs wasn't there. Because, you know, he was there until 85 and then he was gone until 96. So, for those 11 years, I liked seeing visually all the decisions they were making without him there. And there's a mix of like, oh my gosh, that's a really dumb thing. Who would have thought of that? But there's also a mix of like, wow, like Daniel Deulis and like the espresso design language and all this stuff is really cool. Like, who in the early 90s thought about like adding curves to computers and like vents to make it look like it has gills and like a nice curved screen and like feet. So it stands on your desk and looks approachable or like make the floppy drive look like it kind of smiles at you. Like industrial design was not really a thing in computers except for Apple. (laughs) So it was really cool seeing Them do that. But of course, it was good to see jobs come back. And like you said, uh, the resurgence in the early 2000s, I totally believe, is because of the new strategy he introduced getting rid of all the confusing product names, simplifying the product strategy, rewriting the operating system to make it more modern, and then doing other things too, like the iPod to help more people get just aware of Apple. So uh,
0: Yeah, because yeah. that kind of mid-90s era was a very confusing time yeah. for Apple. So even when the clones and all that came along, oh, it's gee, like, yeah, yeah
3: well, hard to follow. Thanks for reminding me about that. Yeah, that's another crazy story about how <laughs> Apple licensed the Mac OS and the Mac ROMs for, uh, they were taking like the Microsoft Windows route almost there to like have other computers make Mac clones. And yeah, they, and they were, man, financially struggling so dang hard. And that's why people thought they were going to go bust. And I just think, there is like, it's like the perfect story. And that's why there's so many freaking movies made about Steve jobs, like biopics. It's the perfect story of like how he was there and you know, he wasn't perfect. Nobody is. And then he left and then the company kind of was okay. And then it started really going down and then they bring him back and then it resurges. And now it's like a two, three, whatever trillion dollar company. It's like, that is the coolest thing to me. I love seeing how like the old stuff like is still like, being used today and that's one of the things i really like about exploring like the next step operating system and all that stuff and seeing how that stuff evolved into mac os even simple things like the sound effects you know you press the wrong key it makes the sound like that was in the next step system and now it's like a familiar sound in the mac you did an
0: entire video on that didn't you kind of um comparing Next Step, you know, this, this operating system that Steve Jobs and the team at Next made when he left Apple, mm-hmm. that obviously Apple then acquired, and that turned into macOS 10. For people who haven't seen that video, how similar are Next Step and macos ten?
3: I guess it depends on what era of macOS we're talking about. But if we're talking about like the earlier kind of like developer preview days, they were pretty fricking similar, <laughs> even visually. Uh, but then, you know, on the surface, when they did the whole new, like Aqua user interface thing, like you wouldn't really be able to tell this was next. But under the hood, there was a lot of stuff that was next. A lot of Unix-y things, you know, the whole dock, the dock interface came from next. The whole way the finder was laid out with like the column browser view where you select a folder and it like opens up another column with all the sub items in there that came from the next uh, I think they called it like the workstation manager or whatever they called it and um yeah there, there was a lot of stuff that came from there even even just in like the developer environment like if you add things to your application like an ns text field like the ns stands for next step like that's still I don't know how common that is today in the swift world I haven't developed for back in like a billion years. But back when I did, yeah, there was a lot of NS objects and NS was all Next Step stuff. Web objects, which Apple used for server-side applications, that was also from Next Step as well.
1: Well, I think Apple's um, one of the only companies that's kind of switched its OS uh, to so many different architectures and um, done it really smoothly, actually, with like emulation of, you know, the other architectures built into the OS a lot of the time. And uh, do you think having that closed kind of walled garden approach of the OS has really helped that company do that. And do you think any other company could do that? Like Windows has been x86 for a long time and now just kind of moved on to ARM, but it's not done the jump around that uh, Apple have.
3: I'm going to give like a super gray response. You know, there's pros and cons to everything. I think the way Apple kind of, locks things down a little bit and pushes for new technologies really fast is a good thing because then you don't get stuck with really old stuff under the hood sometimes you still do like the music app for example is still full of itunes code that is atrocious but for the most part Mm -hmm. it it's very modernized that's how we were able to get to apple silicon much more nicely because they were killing off old things and saying hey use these newer apis like oh hey 64-bit only okay, we're not maybe sure why, but maybe they're going to be doing an Apple Silicon transition soon. And then boom, later, Apple Silicon. So like they kind of kill off the old things a little quicker and make things move forward better. Now, I think they have an advantage because they have a smaller user base with stuff like Microsoft. There's like over a billion people using Windows. You really can't kill off stuff that quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at Internet Explorer. It just officially got retired like a week ago. But I think there are
0: still files from Windows 3.1 lurking in Windows 11 there somewhere. There
3: probably are. There probably are icons and stuff. And yeah. like, and like, you'll get complaints. Like, that's one thing that bugs me about Windows 10. It's getting better with 11, but like, Windows 10, for example, there's like four different design languages mixed in there. It's confusing for like what's what properties are in the Settings app and what things are still in the legacy Control Panel. That happens mm-hmm. when you don't push and kill off old technologies really fast you get that and, confusion and it is life. kind of a,
1: a pushing forward it's kind of a brutal approach right it's like um you know for developer wise i we're from the amiga world and developers mm-hmm. would be like oh we can't run it on that new architecture it'd be like don't worry it's going to be good you know that's kind of apple approach <laughs> yeah. and yeah it works it, you know <laughs> it,
3: it, yeah it, it i think it does work for the better part of all the times they've been doing it. But yeah, in a position like Microsoft, like they need to have, in my opinion, they need to keep that older stuff in there because there's like a billion users and probably more, and a lot of them still need that older support. like I'm, I'm sure there's still a bunch of systems running XP out there. You know, that system came out in 2001, but it's probably still being used somewhere.
0: Oh, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. but I doubt there's... They're probably still running 95 still, I think.
3: Could be for all I know. I mean, <laughs> th- but the thing is, like, that's what Microsoft's good at. They're really good at backwards compatibility. And like, you'll see systems out there probably still running Windows XP, but you- you'll probably not see a system out there running a Mac equivalent of that year. You'll probably never see a Mac in public running 10.1, you know, for something. But you'll probably see XP or something out there because that's just Microsoft's strength. They're really good at long-term support and backward compatibility.
0: Yeah, I mean, I generally keep my um, my old Power Macs on Tiger. Yeah. So that's kind of a good compromise because you've got the, the OS 9 stuff, you know, compatibility layer yeah. is still in there. So that's a, a sweet point. That's I true.
3: Think. That's true. And yeah. on top of that, I do want to add one more thing. I don't think people give Apple enough credit for all of the open source stuff they've actually contributed to. The computer world, because mm. a lot of people say, "Well, it's all closed source and proprietary." Well, spoiler alert: so is Microsoft Windows. It's not an open source operating system. But like, yeah. but like Apple was a big player in OpenGL, OpenCL, the Common Unix Printing System, WebKit, Darwin. Back in the day, the kernel of their OS it was open sourced, and like things are changing now. Like they're trading off OpenGL for Metal, and yeah, it, they're probably locking it down a little bit more. But for years, like there was. And there still is a ton of open source stuff in the OS, but for going as far back as I can remember, they were big players in the open source world. So I just hope people give them some credit for that. It's not all just some closed off system. I don't think that's yeah. how it is at all.
0: And I mean, you know, kind of going back to that Next legacy, mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite videos you did on your channel is um, when you got your hands on a Next Cube yeah. um, a couple of years ago and did like a, an in-depth look inside that as well. I mean, what do you think of uh, of, of the Next Cube and the Next Machines as, as as hardware and systems?
3: Man, the Next Machines are so cool looking back at. I mean, in, in, at the time, I don't know if I could have justified spending that much money on that system, but in the end, Next ended up really being a software company, not much of a hardware company. Uh, cause you know, Hey, Apple acquired Steve jobs in the software and it all worked out, but the hardware kind of stayed behind. But anyway, from a collector, a collector's perspective, the hardware is so freaking cool. Like what other computer is just like a monolith, like cube black box thing <laughs> it, with like these four expansion slots on the inside. Like, it's just such a cool device to have. And, you know, uh, back before it was called the next cube, it was still cube shaped. It was just called the next computer. You know, we had some smart minds using them to create really cool things, you know, like Tim Berners Lee, the first worldwide web software web server was run on a next computer. And I just think it's really cool that.
0: Have you tried it on um, the original browser on your next cube?
3: I have not successfully networked that thing with the internet. Uh, Braniac Brent, my, my buddy, It got it to work like as an FTP server locally. So we were able to transfer files to it, but I've never gotten it to like web browse.
0: Oh, you need to host your website on it. That'd be (laughs) be absolute (laughs) retro. That'd be. Oh man.
3: The the funny thing is I'm actually working uh, with a team on an all new website right now. So like, that's why I recently like revisited Apple's website software, iWeb just for fun. And now people are asking me like, hey, you're going to make your new website on iWeb? Yeah, Totally. I'll use a 2009 program to make this amazing website.
0: <laughs> we had yeah. this idea actually for our website because we've got like a modern version, but Ravi does our website. I keep saying to him, we need like a a button you can click that takes you back to like you know a, yeah. a 90s GeoCities style one. button. Yeah, no frames yeah. or frames, I, I, <laughs> spinny gifs and all that. Yeah,
3: I actually that's not a bad idea. I, I should probably do that with the Computer Clan. I think a lot of our audience would like that because we do so much retro stuff. So. Yeah. Might have a good uh, idea brewing there.
1: Well, yeah. when um when kind of next happened, like, you know, if you're a real computer geek, you must have thought this is amazing. But the, the wider industry just must have thought this is madness. You've got a really expensive cube that does nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, But in the end of the day, it ended up kind of, do you think, helped save Apple?
3: Yeah, they totally saved Apple. And that's why... I was like kind of giggling about this, but also being serious. Like at the time next looked like a joke. It was an expensive, I think in this, one of the Steve jobs movies, they called it like a $10,000 dictionary. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the software from it and the team that Steve jobs had when they moved over to Apple, they 100% saved Apple, no doubt in my mind. And because it was the software, but it was most importantly, Steve jobs, but you also had Patron surlay, he came over later too, and he did a lot of stuff with macOS engineering. And then also from Next, Craig Federighi, Hair Force One, everybody loves him. He was at Next too, and he came over to Apple in 2009. Yeah, later, but still a pivotal piece of the puzzle here, because look at what he's doing with the software teams now. It's it's huge at Apple. That's one thing I learned from uh, an interview with Randy Ubalos. He was the guy that was the chief architect of the new version of Final Cut Pro. He was the chief architect of the first version of Adobe Premiere. When he was talking about getting acquired by Apple, he was talking about like when a company acquires someone else, like generally they're not acquiring the software, they're acquiring the people. The people are what's mm. important. So, yeah, the next software was important, but most importantly, it was jobs and the other people that were acquired with that.
0: Because it's really interesting. because I mean, for people that maybe didn't follow Apple in that era, Apple were trying to do their own operating system, you know, that was going to be the, the next thing, codenamed Copeland. Yeah. And, that had some, I and mean, they were trying for years, couldn't make it work. And in the end, ended up buying, you know, another operating system, which was next. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you, um, I, I thought you did a video on Copeland, but I couldn't find it today. Maybe I imagined it. I mean, have you, have you used Copeland and is that something you've covered? You
3: know, I actually haven't used Copeland yet, but I think that would right. make for an epic retrospective one of these days. I, uh, yeah, I actually haven't touched that one yet. That and um, AUX I would like to do, because like their early Unix Mac OS software, I would like to tackle both of those. Those sound cool.
0: Yeah, I think you need like a really specific model. Probably. Of like G3 <laughs> to run it on or something like or maybe even earlier. That yeah, wouldn't
3: surprise uh, me. I'm not 100% yeah. <laughs> sure. I'm not 100% sure, but that wouldn't surprise me at all because, like, even the Mac OS X developer preview. It's like, you need, like, a blue and white G3. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm lucky I happen to have one. But like, wouldn't install on anything else.
0: Check the serial number, is it this one? (laughs) (laughs) We're now kind of talking about, you know, Apple in that era. I I know the other option, because I was following this at the time, was, you know, there's a company called B who um, had a great operating system called BOS. And Apple also considered buying them for a while, but I think, you know, they wanted too much money. I mean, have you used BOS before? And how do you think in an alternate world... What would that have been a better or worse choice? My I gosh. <laughs> all I, hypothetical. I, I
3: legit have fantasized about this exact scenario. So I have not used BOS a ton yet uh, at the Vintage Computer Festival in Chicago. I played on a B-Box for a little bit, but I'm not super versed in it. But I have thought about like what the alternate future would be if Apple acquired B. And um, from a technical perspective, I don't really know what that would have meant for the operating system. But from a people perspective, it would have meant they probably wouldn't have gotten jobs back. Or at least they wouldn't have gotten jobs back for maybe another 10 years or so. So if you think about it, the iPod might not have happened, or it would have happened maybe like 10 years later. So then the iPhone might not have happened, or it would have happened 10 years later. And then like, think about the iPad, like it's a domino effect. A bunch of the things we use today from Apple might have been like five or 10 years delayed if they didn't bring Jobs and his guys back from
0: next. Yeah, because B was a great operating system, but they didn't really have any success on their own. So right yeah, it's interesting. I mean, although I do look at those B-boxes, and they're, they're definitely on my you know, dream of hardware. Dreams, they are cool. <laughs> yeah. They
3: are cool. Yeah, I need to make some more time to collect some other things. Like, I, I, I'd i like to do some B-stuff. I'd love to do some Silicon Graphics stuff. Their computers are just cool-looking, all blue and purple and everything. I'd love to mess with those, yeah. too.
0: Absolutely. If people are interested in, in uh, BOS, obviously, there's a, there's a modern version of it, isn't the Haiku? Um, which is open source, and that's uh, that's really good, actually. I, I did a little video on YouTube, kind of delving into that. So um, that's kind of an interesting look at where it could have gone, actually. Yeah, I'm familiar with a Haiku Linux distro. Is that the same one? Uh, no, this is a it's a modern evolution of BOS. Okay. So so um, they kind of okay. op- open sourced it, and I re- rewrote re- a lot of the the components. So it runs on modern PCs, though. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's definitely worth a worth a look. Fun.
1: Um, you did a video on Apple mice and the evolution of them, and I <laughs> yeah. remember. Uh, one of the first time I used a Apple mouse, and it was like, I was so used to, you know, <laughs> right-clicking, right-clicking and all of this yeah. I was like, what is oh going on? Oh so my, which ones are your favorites, and uh, what do you think about the kind of history of Apple mice?
3: <laughs> None. <laughs> okay, I'll be honest. I, I love still, like, the old designs of them and everything, but, like, gosh darn it, man. It took until... What, when did they release the Mighty Mouse, which they couldn't call the Mighty Mouse because of legal reasons? That was, like, 2006 or whatever. They didn't have a scroll yeah. ball or a scroll wheel until, like, 2005, 2006. Like, are you kidding me? Like, other, like, PC mice had scroll wheels in, like, what, the mid-90s? <laughs> so yeah. um, the lack of a right click didn't bug me a whole lot because whatever i mean if you want to be a real power user you control click like a man <laughs> to open your menus but yeah no scroll wheel like that was that really oh,
1: yeah. i remember the scroll ball on the mountain <laughs> it, it used to get really dirty and yes you'd, you'd have to rub it on paper or on a rubber Yeah, get get all the dirt off. Yeah, people
3: give the Mighty Mouse crap. I personally like it, but yeah, the one big problem with that scroll ball is, yeah, if you don't keep it clean, it'll just stop working. But when it does work, it's really cool because, especially to like you know, middle schooler me using a Mac for the first time in years, being able to scroll in a 360. degree direction was like really cool. So there are newer mice I really like. I still use a Magic Mouse. I've been using a Magic Mouse since 2009, which I love because being able to scroll in all directions smoothly with like inertia, like scrolling on an iPhone nice and smooth like that, like that's really handy to me and I haven't been able to replicate that with any other mouse with a mechanical wheel.
0: Yeah, I miss it when I get, when I have to use Windows. <laughs> yeah, not being able to horizontally scroll is just weird. Yeah, right?
3: I know. Oh my yeah. gosh. Especially like with <laughs> video editing. I really like having smooth horizontal scrolling because your timeline is going to move left and right. Yeah. So having the Magic Mouse for that is super handy, and like being able to do a two finger swipe to move the playhead to the next clip or the previous clip, just super handy shortcuts that no other mouse, like I- I've never seen another multi touch mouse do what the Magic Mouse can do. But uh, but yeah, Apple did some cool things with their mice, like doing the optical stuff and like the clear cases and all that. But yeah, not having a right click or a scroll wheel for years was like. What and oh and the puck mouse. Let's just yeah bring that up. I was waiting for that one. (laughs) Yeah, that that was probably another next thing that came over because Next had a circular mouse and now Apple's like, hey, here's the circular mouse for the iMac and you know, people joked about it saying it caused like carpal tunnel syndrome and all that, because it is weird. I won't lie, it's weird. I do have like a I forgot what it's called, but it's like an accessory for the puck mouse to it attaches to it to shape it like a normal mouse. (laughs)
0: Oh wow. I'd never seen that before. Yeah, wow. yeah. See, if you're like a five year old, they're probably all right. But yeah, for anyone who anyone over the age of like fifteen whose hands are grown a bit, it was give just, a modern yeah, kid a, a Puck mouse.
3: Uh, <laughs> i so confused. Oh my gosh, that that'd be funny to see.
0: Well, here's a question that um, might require a bit of thought. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got some favourite Apple products and I mean if you were to say, you know, name your favourite and worst classic apple products what would they be
3: my favorite is the tam because the 20th anniversary of macintosh is just such a cool unique design that they never replicated you know with like the the nice like fabric speakers and the bose sound system like they never did anything like that again it's so cool so i'd say that's my favorite uh my least favorite yeah i would have to think about that um this this isn't meant to disrespect the amazing industrial design group that made this but like the Molar Mac, what the hell was going on with that thing? Like, that was a like a like a middle, like, beige iMac thing. Like, do, do you know what I'm talking about? The G3 all-in-one?
1: Yes, was, yeah. yes, I do. Like, late, late 90s. Yeah, so it, so was, it still had the CRT kind of back, but yep,
3: it was, it, like, it, 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 was a, and... it was a giant beige CRT 80-pound computer it kind of had like a clearer plastic back kind of like the new design language they were moving to with like the clear plastics and stuff it had a bit of that on there but the rest was beige and it had like two floppy drives on the front and a cd drive so it looked like a face that was squinting at you it was called the molar mac (laughs) because it was shaped like a big molar tooth it was just heavy and beige and kind of weird looking but still cool i mean weird stuff is cool so i I wouldn't mind having one in my collection if someone wants to lift it for me but i would say that's one of like the I don't know if I'd say the worst, but one of the odder design choices that they did that they never repeated again.
0: (laughs) From the era, it's like, you know, when when they went from those kind of boring beige machines and then we got all the the wild colors, you know, that Steve Jobs brought in, in like the G3 era. Yeah. Um, Because I remember I got the, um, my first Mac was a, the snow iBook G3s so not like the not the toilet seat one, <laughs> yeah. the, one the one that came later um <laughs> yeah. but yeah apple just went through so much evolution those are like 5 years going from beige to the colored ones to that you know the the classic white stuff that we got later so it was quite an interesting time for um apple design aesthetics i thought the late 90s
3: i loved the late 90s with you know the whole colorful imac thing and the colorful laptops i'm so glad they're getting back to that like when they introduced the new imac in those like seven colors i was like yes this i want to hear jeff goldblum's voice just talk about those things again just like in the old commercials but um yeah it was it was something that was really it it really stood out because like you know i think um guy kawasaki made the joke of like you can have a computer in any color you want as long as it was beige But like Apple was like, hey, color. And Steve Jobs even talked about this during one of his keynotes where he was like, we asked a lot of people what attributes of a computer were important to them. And like they rarely said anything about hard drive space or like, you know, processor speed. But when we asked them what their favorite color was, like people had a favorite color. So they made color important. And for a long time, color was in Apple's products. And yeah, then it kind of went away and then it like kind of came back with like, the iPod Nano, <laughs> but everything else yeah, was like, yeah. yeah, everything else was like white. Uh, and then they started doing like silver and space gray, but now we're getting colors back, which is really cool. But of course I still buy silver.
1: <laughs> well, I was wondering, and uh, there's like so many different computer systems and especially in Europe and in Britain, we have, oh God, so many. Are there any ones that interest you like Acorn or uh, systems like that?
3: So I'd say currently the main stuff I've been diving more into is Apple and Next. I really like those two. Uh, I do... Kind of like what I was hinting at earlier, I'd love to get into SGI, you know, the Silicon Graphics computers because they're really funky looking and the and the IRIX operating system, like I've barely ever touched IRIX before. Uh, so I'm really interested in SGI. Uh, so that would probably be the next thing I look into, maybe some BOS stuff. And I do have a Commodore 64 sitting around. I just haven't, I need a new power supply for it. So I haven't really done anything with it recently. And I do also have a TRS-80 Model 3, but something's wrong with the analog board, and I'm not a skilled repair technician. Yeah, it like the computer boots up, but the CRT just shows a bunch of scrambly lines. It, it looks kind of weird, but uh, it's useless right now. So yeah, I might tinker with some Commodore and TRS stuff in the future.
0: Yeah, the SGI machines, they're just... Um, I've used one at the... We've got a computer um, history center in Cambridge here in the UK, and I went and sat down in front of one of them and yeah, playing with Irix, and they had like... Um, the Nintendo 64, like, development kit and stuff was on there, too. Ooh, and it was sweet. just kind of seeing all that. It was, yeah, just that, those machines, though. I mean, they cost more than a house back in the day. Yeah. Didn't they? but yeah.
3: and, and, and those <laughs> kind of tickle all. my fancy in two ways. Not only do they play to my interest in retro computers, but because I have a video background, I love that aspect of SGI as well, because they were used in composition and visual effects for movies and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know the full story, but when you watch Jurassic Park and you see those Silicon Graphics computers, (laughs) I bet you a million bucks those were the same computers that were used for (laughs) post-production later in the process of making the movie, not just as props. If I had to guess. Yeah, I think that about
0: 20 of them networked I think to render the dinosaurs yeah so really powerful machine that,
3: that sounds right and I, oh just speaking yeah. of that movie the Quadra the Quadra in that movie the Quadra 700 man I yeah I, 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 lo- <laughs> I love that I little sneak peek of a future episode I was blessed enough to come across a Quadra 700 prototype so there will be a future episode on that and we are gonna like reenact. Uh, a small scene from Jurassic park with like Samuel Jackson. Like I'm going to actually like, I'm going to have a cigarette and everything and be like, hold on to your butts. And we're going to have some fun with it, but yeah. Um,
0: you need to get new Newman on your uh, I know! on your password oh! thing. Uh uh uh. Yeah. Oh, dude, totally. I, I was actually,
3: if I had enough time, hopefully I can make enough time for this. I wanted to like make my own version of that, where I have my face up there, like shaking my finger. Oh, amazing. Uh uh uh. You didn't say the magic <laughs> word. <laughs> Dang! I hate this hacker crap. <laughs> <laughs>
0: a classic scene yes oh yeah i love what i love spotting old machines in movies as well yes. i was watching uh randomly on tv the other week the net with sandra bullock where she's using uh macOS os7 all the way through that film as well that's nice. quite funny to watch
3: oh no i i totally love that stuff too uh, people were talking about um for all mankind you know the apple tv plus series they were using Newtons as props in the recent episodes, but of course they were composited and stuff. So like people were video chatting on them, which of course you couldn't do in real life, but it was still new, uh, Apple Newton message pad props they were using, which was really cool.
0: Oh, wow.
1: I, I um, <laughs> remember watching a, I used to be a fan of a TV show called the tribe, which was like a post-apocalyptic series. And all the parents had died and they all had a uh, power PC max, you know, the uh, <laughs> yeah. ones with the like Bondi blue and stuff. And I was like, nice. Oh, the whole future's Mac then. Okay.
3: Yeah, good. It worked out. <laughs> I, but no, I, I love that kind of stuff. It, you know, circling back to Jeff Goldblum, you know, independence day, he used the power book prototype to hack into the spaceship. I freaking love that. And, um, like that was an actual prototype. I actually, in one of my episodes, in a couple of my episodes, I show, it probably wasn't that exact one used on camera, but it was a PowerBook prototype where Apple silk screened four X's after PowerBook on the bezel instead of the model number, which is weird because, like, you would actually take the time to silk screen, like, a placeholder, PowerBook XXXX. But yeah, they did it for some of their PowerBook prototypes back in the day. It's kind of cool to see.
0: Especially as a product placement, something you couldn't actually buy, I thought was a bit strange.
3: Yeah, I was <laughs> okay. like, dang, I want to buy this prototype, but no, it's, yeah. Eh, yeah, I'll get the boring retail version. Like the other thing, oh man, uh, Batman and Robin, that movie where they use the prototype 20th anniversary Macintosh. I'm just like, oh my gosh, where is this thing? Someone has to have it still the Spartacus prototype. Yeah, that's,
0: oh. You'd hope it didn't end up in a dumpster. Or something, I hope it hasn't
3: <laughs> ended up. Gosh. Cause like, that was like a really cool design. Like it, it was different than how it ended up being in the end, which I love seeing, but From what I understand from the stories of the industrial design group, it was an operational prototype. It wasn't just some like Mm. hard model. It actually had a board and software, and it worked. So I hope someone somewhere has it and is taking care of it.
0: There is actually a website, isn't there, dedicated to... um... I think it's starringthecomputer.com that shows you it's a list of movies and which computers have been in them. Oh, sweet. It's a really good website. So, yeah, if you're ever interested in kind of, you know, if you, if you spot something obscure in a film, you like, what computer is that? Then normally got it on that website. That's actually,
3: <laughs> so. that's actually really good to know because I was thinking of doing an episode about, like, max in famous movie and TV show scenes. Uh, I'm not mm. sure how much list videos would really perform on my channel, so I haven't really done it yet, but that is something I did consider doing. And I would definitely talk about Jurassic Park and like Independence Day, for example.
0: Yeah. New series of Stranger Things is like an Amiga 1000 in there. Yeah. And uh, I was like, wow, you know, literally rewound it about four times. What you get over, Dude, and over so.
3: it, it, it. I'm <laughs> the same way. Cause it's like, it's like when I'm watching like Jurassic Park with my friend, she's like really into dinosaurs. So she, yeah. she's loving the dinosaurs, and I'm looking at the Quadra 700.
0: <laughs> uh, but you're missing
1: the point of the movie. Yes.
3: Ken, it's about dinosaurs. I don't care. I want the Quadra. <laughs> oh, well, my gosh. Like,
1: um, you right. do a few videos on Windows, and you've done like a commemorative uh, install of Windows Vista as well. Yeah. Um, do you think uh, Vista kind of deserves the hate that it got?
3: No, I don't think it did. And in the time, you know, there were a lot of upset people because like, you know, there was a huge gap from XP to Vista and Vista was maybe a little buggy and it didn't support people's hardware. So people made fun of it. And then, of course, Apple making fun of it didn't help. <laughs> so look, yeah. looking back at it, eh, no, I think it got more hate than it really deserved. Uh, yes, it had its problems, but like, hello, Windows Millennium Edition. <laughs> that was like mm-hmm. a cluster. But anyway. Uh, it was, um, it it was a little blown out of proportion and, uh, Vista got better with time. And I believe service pack one patched a lot of the problems and, you know, from, from a nostalgic perspective. Well, I don't have a ton of a nostalgic attachment to Vista honestly because when we had our family PC we were still on XP. So we never made the jump to Vista, but from like a, just like a retro perspective, I love using Vista because it was just so pretty. You know, it had a really pretty yeah. interface and I love the whole like long hurt longer <laughs> long horn developer story behind it seeing all the different like graphical user interfaces Microsoft tested before they stuck with Vista's current look. I just love You've it. done a
0: video on that, haven't you? Kind of showing the prototype.
3: Yeah, I did explore some of the Longhorn stuff. It was a old video. Um, I would love to touch Longhorn again someday. But yeah, I showed like three different builds of Longhorn and it's just so much fun to see, wow, the taskbar looks totally different. The start button looks different. The menu, the sidebars, like it all looks different. And they changed it a lot while they were trying to find a look that worked. And I love that kind of evolution. Mm.
0: Um, talking about your hardware collection then. I mean, what's your classic computer collection like and, you know, kind of how many would you say you have and uh what items are you most proud of in your collection?
3: I'd say I have about 30. It's definitely not as big as some of my friends. Like my buddy Steve from the Mac 84 YouTube channel probably has over 100. Uh, my my buddy Greg from K Mods probably has over like 120, 130. <laughs> um so yeah, it, it's small and humble and I would say you know, it is more Apple because I like their story. I love their history, but I do have the next stuff. Of course, I have some next stuff. I do have a Commodore 64. I have a TRS-80. I do have a Macintosh clone that I would love to get back to working on a video about. But yeah, it definitely is a more of an Apple lean. And I would say my most, my two, well, oh man. Man, it's hard to pick. I have like four like really crown jewels of the thing. I will say that prototype iMac G3 probably takes the cake because that thing is incredibly rare. I've never seen it before. But aside from that, I would say like the next cube and the 20th anniversary <clears throat> Macintosh are like the crown jewels of the collection.
0: How do you store them? I mean, have you got like a a dedicated area then, or they're just kind of uh, all all around your house, wherever they fit in? I
3: have like two kind of dedicated areas. And like the main one is the one everybody sees in the background. Cause like in the background of my episodes, I have like those shelves and stuff. So I put those there on purpose to display them. But then behind the scenes, I do have like two different, like four level shelves that just hold a bunch of stuff. There's, um, and then there's a spot on the floor for towers because they're too tall to be on the shelf, and then I do have a a, a small storage room, a little like right next to my office here, where I do have a couple of things in there, and uh, including the Macintosh TV. You know that one's uh, chilling in there right now too.
1: Nice. Well, what do you think of the uh, recent ending of the uh, iPod range? And um, do you have any classic iPods yourself?
3: I do have an iPod mini. And, uh, I, I have my, I recently found my iPod touch second gen from when I was a kid, we gave it away a long time ago to like my cousin or something. So I was like getting on the phone and be like, Hey, can we track this down? And yeah, we found it still has my name engraved on the back. So yeah, I got a couple iPods. Um, as for the news, like I kind of knew it was going to happen, but I never like really knew when it was going to happen. So when Apple officially announced it. And even people like Phil Schiller were talking about it. I was like, Whoa, this is like really the end of an era. Now the iPod is like, it's, it's done. And then Apple's like, all right, iPod touch. That's all we have left on our store while supplies last. And like, boom, they were gone in like what less than a day. So (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a little shocking, but not fully, um, not fully surprising because they haven't updated it in forever.
0: There's still nice devices to have though. We we went away on a, a trip recently and I didn't know whether we we're going to have good Wi-Fi or phone signals. I actually just stacked up an 80 gig iPod with a load of music on there just for the hotel room and you know, just for walking around with it. It's actually it worked really well um, having some nice headphones on it. So I think there's definitely still, a, I know it's a bit of a niche use these days, but I think it is quite still a nice thing to have. Oh, totally. A nice MP3 Absolutely. player. Absolutely.
3: I think that, you know, I've seen a lot of my viewers say they wish Apple would make, like a, a revised or a rev, um, like a rebooted iPod classic, you know, they're not going to do that because the market for that's incredibly slim. It's very niche, like you mm. said, but there's other people out there that sell mods, you know, different colors. You can like send in your iPod classic and get the colors changed. You can get, you know, uh, put an SSD or like a, you know, SSD or like C compact flash or whatever in there to, you know, make it really fast instead of a mechanical hard drive. So yeah, I still see the use. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm all about the cloud. So I stream all my stuff, but it's still nice that like Apple music, for example, you can save stuff offline for like in your example, if you don't know what the Wi-Fi is going to be like, it's nice that you can save mm-hmm. stuff offline, but yeah, there is absolutely still a use for the older ones with hard drives in them. Just put a bunch of music on them, plug in a headphone, you know, which you can't do on a modern iPhone anyway. So, uh, you know, <laughs> exactly load it up, put it in your car or whatever, you know, go out and hike, you know, do it. It still works. Totally does. My mini still works. The battery. uh, It wasn't mine. Like as a kid, it was given to me by a friend, but like battery still works. I can hike with it or go wherever, uh, sync it with a good old 30 pin cable and off to the races.
0: (laughs) Well, Ken, it's been uh, incredible reminiscing with you over the last hour or so. I mean, uh, and obviously like we said, huge fans of your channel. I mean, is there anything coming up that you can tell us about over the next few weeks on the channel?
3: Yeah. Coming up, I would say Actually, just today, the time we're recording this, I just dropped my latest scam buster into those fake solid state drives that people are trying to sell on the Internet. I had a lot of fun making that one. And uh, coming up next, uh, depending on when people are listening to this episode, but uh, on June 30th, I believe it's like the iPhone's like 15th anniversary or like it's around that time. It's, it's, It's near that time. Yeah, I'm dropping a very special iPhone 4 prototype episode i collaborated with donglebook pro and he has several iphone 4 prototypes including the one that has like a death star logo on it before apple put their own logo on it they put proto logos on them so we're going to show these really rare iphone 4 prototypes on june 30th talk about the history and also talk about the drama of the iphone 4 like how it was left the prototype was left in that bar before it got released so you know the (laughs) the whole antenna gate controversy so like it's just, it's like the most drama-filled iPhone release ever, and I'll be launching an awesome retrospective about it on June 30th. So that's uh, coming up.
0: Well, looking forward to that. The fact that the iPhone's 15 years old has just made my jaw drop. I know, already, it's, so. it's pretty <laughs> insane. And, and
3: on top of that, another thing I hinted at earlier, uh, the whole Quadra 700 prototype, I will be dropping something with that soon. And also, with Apple's new MacBook Air coming out, they haven't announced the date yet. But when it comes out... I would love to do um, like a comparison with a first-generation MacBook Air just to see how Mm. far we've come. Because this is the first time Apple ditched the wedge shape. They finally ditched the wedge shape after all these years. So I'd love to do like a hands-on, just kind of like first impressions comparison. But I would also love to do a retrospective of the first-gen MacBook Air and talk about all the things it introduced to apple and parts of the computer industry for example like it was the first solid state drive mac it was the first mac with a chiclet keyboard it was the first mac notebook with a led backlit display the unibody all this cool stuff that it introduced i'd love to do a retrospective on that as well so yes lots of good stuff coming up iphone quadra mac good stuff's coming
0: really and listen obviously we'll link your channel in our show notes then Thanks. everyone should go check it out appreciate it. really appreciate you joining us thank you so much for coming my on my pleasure